Lord, we come into your presence. We want to come under the sound of your word. We want to receive wisdom from on high. And Lord, would you do that through the meditations of Kapo's heart and through what you have taught him? Would you also open up our hearts so that we would be willing to receive? We would be obedient to your word and your principles and that we then might have the abundant life that you promise. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. Can you hear me at the back? Last week, um, Elder Edwin shared about how work is good. Sorry, this. Oops. Okay. Work is good because it is a gift. God, the all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-knowing God, created the world and continues to sustain it all these thousands of years without help from us or anyone else. But out of His good pleasure, He gave us the privilege of working alongside Him, participating with Him in all His creative endeavours, giving us the opportunity to make scientific discoveries of the natural laws he has set, to create masterpieces of art and music and poetry, to build cities and civilizations, to construct marvels of engineering in bridges, to cross vast stretches of water, to build dams to hold up rivers and irrigate dry land and make airplanes that fly huge distances from one end of the globe to another end. When God created Adam and Eve, he entrusted him with a job. Genesis chapter 2, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Think about it for a moment. Have you ever saw a job description like that? Ever? Man was supposed to be God's representative on earth to steward the earth and rule over all living things, fish, birds, every living creature that walks on the land. What qualifications did Adam have to carry out that job? Did he have a degree in biology, animal husbandry, agriculture, engineering? No. It was God's good pleasure to give man the privilege of working alongside him in caring for his creation. And so, work is a gift. And because work is a gift, we should honour God by offering our work back to God as worship. We should give of our best in our work, whatever our jobs, whatever the circumstances, 
And this was the way that Edwin summarized it. I hope I quoted him right now. From God, work came to us as a gift. To God, God, work is offered by us as worship. And seeing work that way is transformational. Edwin shared about his sister, Jean, who was principal of Badok Town Primary School during the last three years of its existence before the Ministry of Education shut it down. And the school was in a pathetic state, maybe not physically well-kept. The students came from dysfunctional families. They were underprivileged, underperforming. The teachers were demoralized and pretty much resigned to the whole situation. And it was going to be a tough assignment. But when Jean decided to do her utmost to inspire both her teaching staff and the students, the results were astonishing. And it happened because Jean refused to look at the circumstances of her work, however depressing they are, but instead chose to see her job as worship to the God she serves. And that made all the difference. Isn't it so thrilling that when we focus our eyes not on our work down here, but on the boss up there, and that when we bring him pleasure by working hard and working well, and our work can touch lives, bring joy, and uplift others. But, as Edwin also reminded us, our day-to-day experience of work is often not like that. In fact, Edwin shared with me in an email that many people came to him with questions after his message. Uh, don't come to me afterwards. Huh? <laughs> Go to Pastor Kokfai. You've got all the answers. And he asked, and he asked questions like this. These people ask questions of, of, of Edwin like this. How can we bring God pleasure in our work if we don't like our work? Why did God call Mother Teresa to do something else? To go and serve the poor, the poorest of the poor in the streets of Calcutta if she was so happy as a teacher? How could God do something like that? Is it wrong to choose a job because it is a well-paying job? What happens if the position does not match our passion. So I will siam all these questions this morning. But, you know, two things are clear from questions like these. First thing is there is a huge disconnect between the biblical understanding of work as a gift, as service, as worship, and our experience of work in our day-to-day lives. And secondly, it seems that many people are troubled by it. Why is there a disconnect between the biblical view of work as service, as a gift, as good, as worship, something joyful, something exciting, with what we experience day to day in our workplace? Let's take a little survey. Yeah? By a show of hands, how many of you love your job? Oh, wow. Quite a few. Huh? But still a very small minority. How many of you, can I take by implication, by inference, that the balance of you in this room dislike your job? Okay, that's the case. For those of you who dislike your job, which of the following are true? I work long hours and fatigue each day. Anyone? Thank you. My pay is too little for what I do. Only one. 
my promotion prospects are lousy. Same person. I'm not identifying who that person is. I don't enjoy what I do. None. Okay, great. I find my colleagues bothersome. My boss is impossible. All of the above. <laughs> Disappointing, actually. So most of you seem to enjoy your work. So you think you have a lousy job? Take a look at these. You know, until recently, I, I, I worked with some undergrads who are anxious about getting jobs after they graduate. So, so some of them come to me and ask for some kind of a career advice. And 9 in 10 tell me that they want a job that takes all the right boxes in their checklist. What kind of a checklist? Recognition for a job well done, healthy working environment, meaningful work, responsibility, accountability, equitable compensation, the chance to learn, the chance to do great work, understanding, the chance to work with interesting, motivated, responsible people. I think most of us will agree that very few jobs offer anything near this list, or at least that is what most of us will experience. And therefore, at least in the secular world, work as a means to self-fulfillment is a myth. It's an empty hope, and rarely, if ever, happens. Not many of us are like those who put up their hands earlier, who say they enjoy their work. Not many of us are like Edwin and Karen and Bernard Lowe's good friend, designer, whom you know who, who enjoys every moment of his work. The reality is this. While work is good, work is also fallen. Genesis 3, 16 to 19, you know the story. God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden, gave them a vocation to tend the garden, and as we said earlier, rule over all the earth, and permitted them to eat of the fruit from any tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Was there something special about that tree? Did it possess some magical property such that when you eat of its fruit, you become super smart? Or like this recently released movie, you get to unlock the 90% of your brain cells that lie unused in all of us? Well, the only thing special about this tree was that God gave a specific prohibition. That was all. And you know what happened, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed. And straight away, Scripture tells us the eyes were opened and they became, awareness, they became aware of good and evil and guilt came over them and they were ashamed of their nakedness, something they were not ashamed of before. And they hid from God. And God pronounced judgment on them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife enough and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. 
by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So because of the fall, our work is cursed. And this curse on our work has three consequences. And here I'm following very closely to Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavour. Three consequences. The first consequence is this. Work becomes fruitless. You know, it's interesting that to the woman, the curse results in sharp pain in childbearing. And we have a word for this, don't we? It's called labour. It's called labour. And that is the same word that's commonly used of the painful toil that Adam must now experience in his work. Labour. For man, what does all the painful toil and labour yield? Genesis 3.18 says that the earth will bring forth not a big harvest or agricultural abundance, but thorns and thistles. In other words, work for all the pain and the toil and the sweat that goes along with it becomes unproductive, frustrating and unfulfilling. It's like putting 120% effort but only getting out 60% results. That's a huge efficiency loss. Here's a picture of a ditch digger in the early 20th century. I dig the ditch to earn the money, to buy the food, to give me strength to dig the ditch. Bleak, isn't it? Very, very bleak. Some of us feel trapped in the numbing and unfulfilling and underwhelming work that we do. We can't perform to our desired level because we lack the knowledge or the skills or the experience despite all the training courses we go for. Sometimes we think we've done a good job, but our clients, our bosses think otherwise. And the good job is simply not good enough. And our stress levels go up trying to manage all these expectations. And stress usually, as you well know, manifests itself in all kinds of ways. I have a skin condition called uticaria, hives, hongmok. I first detected it almost three years ago, and I need long-term medication. But it was pretty much under control, and I needed to take my antihistamine drugs once every three days. Ever since I moved from my previous job to my current one, my uticaria flared up again. And I need to take my medication once a day, and even then, it's sometimes not enough, and the itch. It's an itchy skin condition. The itch starts at night even though the same, before the same day's medication has worn out. That's a sure sign of stress. Preparing the sermons like this are very stressful, by the way. <laughs> it's labor. But fruitlessness doesn't just impact us alone. There are, the curse on our work impacts others as well. You know, relationships in the workplace are broken, Conflicts arise between colleagues because of envy, misunderstandings, sap our energy and time, takes us away from the real work we should be doing. Labour unions and management argue over pay increases or allowances for workers. And elsewhere, workers go on strike for higher wages or better benefits. Foxconn, you might have heard of that company. It's a giant Taiwanese firm there's a major subcontractor for Apple and just about most of the big telcos that make phones and uh, 
devices, electronic devices, iPads. They have about 1.2 million people working for them in many plants across China. But four years back, the press reported that work conditions were poor. They were working overtime, uh, lived in crowded dormitories, there was little attention paid to workers' health and safety was ignored. So much so that three people died in the factory blast and at least 18 tried to commit suicide. Here in Singapore, you've read newspaper reports of poor living conditions that foreign workers face. Cramped, unhygienic, mosquito-infested, smelly toilets, wash basins unwashed for six months, and so on and so forth. The fallen workplace has become a platform for conflict and dehumanizing influences. Secondly, work becomes meaningless. Even for those of us who have arrived, we're a top gun in the organization, we are high-flying, high-achieving, smart and successful, our achievements turn out to be empty and bring no satisfaction. The writer to the book, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wise man, the philosopher king, King Solomon, says in chapter 2, verses 4 to 11, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then he goes on to say, so in verse 17, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, and yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. You know the as I mentioned earlier, the book of Ecclesiastes is sometimes attributed to King Solomon, one of the greatest kings in Israel. His kingdom was full of splendor and wealth. It's like the Sultan of Brunei, you know, the Emir of Qatar or the Sheikh of Abu Dhabi. Countries with enormous natural resources. Wealth enough to start grand infrastructure projects to turn deserts into cities. Enough to buy up grand European football clubs of famous names like Harrods of London. And when you think about it, ego projects aside, ego projects aside, many of these projects that these people do 
bring benefits to large numbers of people. Lives are uplifted, communities are changed, transformed, just like what Edwin's sister did for Bedok Town Primary School. So there is greatness. There is greatness in that grandeur. What's so purposeless or meaningless about it? Yet, for the wise man in Ecclesiastes, when all is said and done, his conclusion is that all achievement, everything he has done for himself and for the good of his people is meaninglessness. Chasing after the wind, or as Eugene Peterson put this in his translation, the message, it's all smoke. It's spitting into the wind. And it is smoke and spitting into the wind because whatever we do and accomplish with the best of intentions, with the best of results for the most number of people, just does not endure. Just as we human beings do not endure. Our mortality means that the achievements of our work often go down to the grave with us. For many people in the world, for maybe some of us here even, work is but a means to earn a living, not permeated or filled with purpose. You watched this before, I'm sure. This is, I don't know how many, nth remake of The Karate Kid, the most recent one, I think, starring Jackie Chan. There was a scene in this movie where Jackie Chan's character, Mr. Han, if you remember, was teaching this boy, Will Smith's son, Dre Parker, is his name, in his backyard, in, in, in uh, Mr. Han's backyard. And he tells Dre when he started the Kung Fu training to take off his jacket, put it on. Put it on, take it off. Put it on, take it off. I don't know whether you remember that. And he does it like a thousand times until Dre Parker just could not take it anymore. And he got very upset. Why? Because he just doesn't see the purpose the meaning of what he was being asked to do and how taking off and putting on his jacket was related to his quest for Kung Fu. And work becomes hard and meaningless when you cannot make sense of the whys, W-H-Y-S, the why and the wherefores. Thirdly, work becomes self-seeking. Tim Keller tells us that one of the reasons why work is both fruitless and meaningless is that the human heart has powerful inclinations to make work the basis of our identity, a means to distinguish ourselves from other people and to accumulate power over others. We define ourselves by the organization we work for, the titles we have in our organizations, the degrees we own, the salary we earn, the perks we enjoy, when we get promoted to high office, we get elated. Sure, let's, let's not forget to thank God for all the benefits that we receive. But our hearts can so easily get seduced by the good things that our work delivers to us. Success, financial rewards, status, achievement. And the wise man says in Ecclesiastes 4.4, 4, I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is envy? Envy is when you want something you don't have that others have. And it stems 
ultimately from self-centeredness, self-seeking, and finally, our pride. If you look back again in the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters or so, you'll notice that there is a gradual shift in emphasis from the stewardship of God's creation in chapters 1 and 2 that Adam and Eve were asked to do, to the curse on work, the curse on man as a result of the fall in chapter 3, to chapter 4 when Cain, Abel and Cain, Cain uses agricultural technology on the ground that has been cursed as a means to win God's favour. Of course, he was rejected in favour of Abel. And to the story of Noah, when God cleansed the ground that was cursed through the great flood in chapters 5 to 9, the story of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, when men sought to elevate themselves through their work. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the language so that they will not understand each other. I'll just stop there. What is the nature, what is the problem with what man was trying to do then? Well, they, they discovered better building technology. Instead of stone, they, they discovered brick making. And with this brick making, they could build taller and taller structures. But the real problem of the man in those days really was the ambition, the hearts, which was, as verse 4 says, to make a name for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves. And notice it's not just an individual project. It was a group project. It was a collective endeavour. There is strength in numbers and there is unity, power in unity, so that there are clubs and associations and unions and movements that bring people together in such a way that they can topple governments, bankrupt companies, and change lives, just like the Arab Spring in Egypt a few years ago. And pride and self are at the root of all such efforts. You know, I've always been fascinated with buildings. And in the last 20, 30 years, buildings have become taller and taller. Well, largely because of higher land costs, but also because of improvements in building technology, especially steel and geolog geological engineering. Some people have developed what they call a skyscraper index, which shows that, and this has been proven uh, somewhat empirically by people who looked at it, when skyscrapers go higher and higher in competition with one another, that always foreshadows a financial crisis. Because heavy bank loans go with that project or those projects. At one time, Empire State Building in New York was the world's tallest building. Then one by one, taller buildings came about. Petronas Towers in KL, Taipei 101, uh, World Financial Center in Shanghai, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, astounding, amazing, um, uh, amazing buildings. And soon, this project called Kingdom Tower in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, which were 
puncture which will, which will be one kilometer high up in the air. I kid you not. I kid you not. These are no longer called tall or super tall structures. Architects and builders call them mega tall structures. And the height of the structures re reflect the size of the egos of the people behind them. They are the modern day equivalents of the Tower of Babel. You know, work has a way of causing us to define ourselves by what we do. What we do and not who we are. Or as James Dobson would say, whose we are. A beloved child of God. And so we work ourselves to the ground, trying to earn recognition, fearing to be left behind, so that we can be upwardly mobile. Work, and maybe our lives in general, becomes a series of battles where you either win or you lose, and we better win. No wonder we're all so stressed. Let me summarize. So, work is fallen because of the curse. And we know from experience the implications of this. Work becomes fruitless, work becomes meaningless, work becomes, work becomes self-seeking. Very bleak. Is there hope? Of course. With God, there is always hope. Firstly, what is the answer to fruitlessness in our work? You know, when Genesis 3.18 talks about pawns and thistles, it also talks about you will eat the plants of the field. The soil is hard, you will toil long, your labor will be frustrating, and often what you plant will not yield much. But you will still, Genesis says, you will still eat the plants of the field. And the old theologians have a term for this. It's called common grace. What's common grace? Common grace is what the Lord Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. I don't have it here. Let me just read to you. He, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's common grace. We see common grace all around us. The sun still shines when we woke up this morning. There's haze, but there's also rain to keep the haze away. Morning and evening, night and day, life goes on. God sustains this earth, however bad the damage to our ecology. God's grace is greater than the effects of the fall. Secondly, what is the answer to meaninglessness in our work? How do we find meaning and purpose? I believe that's the subject of next week's message by Pastor Kofai on how gospel transforms work. But to quote Tim Keller again, we can get a hint of this from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 to 14. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, have it on the slide. Let me just read it to you. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink 
and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Satisfaction in our toil, like eating and drinking, is a gift of God. Just as work itself is a gift from God. And as Edwin reminded us last week, we need a mental and a spiritual reorientation, a renewal of our minds, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, of seeing our work not as drudgery, even though it feels like that most of the time, but as service and worship to God that brings purpose and meaning to our work, however tough. When we work, where we work, we are kingdom agents. We are kingdom agents. Are you willing to let God use you to build His values and His kingdom in your workplace? And finally, what is the answer to our self-seeking? The self-seeking in our work. The antidote lies in self-emptying. Instead of aiming for upward mobility in our work, doing whatever it takes to get ahead, we follow the example of Jesus Christ in the famous song in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Not to take the upward way, but the downward way. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. I'm reading from the message, Eugene Peterson's translation. Again, I don't have it on the slide. Just listen to this. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, being human, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. And to quote Henry Norman, Norman, the Dutch writer, the late Dutch writer, and this is what he says, the one who was from the beginning with God and who was God himself revealed himself as a small helpless child, as a refugee in Egypt, as an obedient adolescent and inconspicuous adult as a penitent disciple of John the Baptist, as a preacher from Galilee, followed by some simple fishermen, as a man who ate with sinners and talked with strangers, as an outcast, a criminal, a threat to his people. He moved from power to powerlessness, from greatness to smallness, from success to failure, from strength to weakness, from glory to shame. And with great persistence, he pointed to the downward way, not the outward way, the downward way, the way of the cross. Do we struggle in our work? Sure we do. I'm a fellow struggler like you. And as a struggler saying to another struggler, let us see our work, our workplace, our lives as a theatre of glory to show forth the praises of God. In the interest of time, I'm going to do something slightly different this morning. Instead of a closing song, I'd like all of us to just turn to your neighbours in twos or threes and just share very quickly in one or two minutes the challenges that you're facing in your workplace. 
And then, can I encourage you? The workplace could also include the schools. Right? Some of you are about, about to take exams and stuff like that. You're in the midst of the exams, so I know the kind of stress that you face, the challenges that you face in your schools. And would you just pray for each other? Just one or two things you want to share with each other. And would you just pray for each other for those one or two things? Right? And after that, after a few minutes, I will close in prayer. Would you do that, please? I will close in prayer shortly. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of working with you. You are creator God. You made the universe. You don't need us. And yet, you've given us out of your good pleasure this privilege of creative endeavors with our creator God. Forgive us that sometimes we approach our work in our workplace our responsibilities in our schools, in our army camps, in our offices, in our factories. We have so much negativity and drudgery, failing to remember that work is a gift. Forgive us, Lord. We yield to you our work. We yield to you our attitudes to work. We yield to you our efforts at work. 
that no matter how fruitless, meaningless, how self-seeking it can be, we know that you, Lord, have redeemed work because Jesus Christ has died and as Brother Cheeping has reminded us again and again this morning, you have done a wonderful thing for us. And so we owe to you our very lives. So take us as an offering in our workplaces, wherever we are. May our hearts beat for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, message to the service is over. Thank you.